everyone, and welcome back to So Emo I Fell Apart, a podcast dedicated to all things emo and pop punk from the Naughty Oddies. And today, I'm one of your hosts, Freya. I'm one of your other hosts, Chloe. And what are we getting into today, Chloe? Today, we are uh, reading a zine that I'm really excited to finally have in my hands and to read. It is called Sing It Like the Kids That Are Mean to You, a collection of works by emos of color. Um, it is like a collab between a bunch of different artists and writers, etc., um, compiled by Tumblr user and I think also Twitter user Birdloaf. Mm-hmm. And it basically is just like a bunch of art and writing on like experiences of being like a person of color in the emo scene. Yeah, it's a really cool thing. I'm glad you mentioned it to me and I'm glad that I ended up getting a physical copy of it and not just the digital version because I always I love the accessibility when it comes to zines being digital, but there is something very special about holding a zine that is physical in your hand. And we're not talking about a zine that is like your perfectly curated artist alley, you know, anime zine. We're talking about like xerox paper and like staple together kind of zine which is yeah a I, refreshing change of pace uh-huh. from zines i keep seeing nowadays yeah like as much as i do love uh, a zine that is actually really just kind of an art book i do also really like you know a zine that is photocopied and stapled together yeah like this very clearly is you know comics and cutouts and collages and different typefaces and cut and paste and printed together and it's really dynamic and it's really cool and i'm excited that we get to talk about it today yeah um so do we want to just start at the start yeah so also before we get into it if you guys happen to want to get a copy of this zine yourself um there is a digital version i believe and you can also order yourself a physical copy of it but i do not remember the website off the top of my head do you happen to have um that information i can just find it because Listen to my new keyboard. Oh, it's literally just birdloaf.com. Perfect. Also, if you happen to want an acrylic keychain of the Vine cookie of the very famous Vine that goes, put Gerard back. And it's a yeah. terribly done uh, <laughs> like gingerbread man cookie. You can get a keychain with the Gerard cookie on it. And I did purchase it. So mm-hmm. go to birdloaf.com. Get yourself a copy of the zine. I think the digital version was less than 10 bucks, something like that. It's uh it's a very good price. Let me see. Let me see. Yeah, digital is uh six dollars. I'm assuming that is American. So uh Yeah, that, I think that's American. Yeah. So yeah, get yourself a copy if you can swing it for six bucks. Support emos of color. Great artists, great uh collaboration. So let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um firstly I wanna mention all the artists that are in this. Um, so we've got, uh, Thrash Beatles, uh, Happy underscore Humbug 76, 2.25 MG, uh, Pete Wentz's Black 1312, uh, that is also their, uh, Tumblr URL, and I believe that their essay for this is also available on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Crash Queen underscore Kid, Tiger's Serum, great username, uh, Sound yeah, of, <laughs> uh, Sound of Their Wings, uh, Uma Doodles, and um, somebody named Fairy who is not listed under a username or at. There's also at Sweet Leechy with two I's instead of two E's at Goddammit oh, yes. Tuma. Didn't see that one. Uh, there was someone else at Hen Moon with three O's. Oh, yeah. And uh, Fola FT. There we go. And, now we got everyone. And Bamron Koss. Sorry, this is a long ass table of contents. Um, yeah. Go, go look at these artists. Go support these artists. 
read their stuff, reblog their stuff. It's all really good. If you're on Bandom Twitter in any way, shape or form, you've probably seen at least a couple of these artists floating around before. Mm-hmm. I know I definitely have, especially uh, particularly Birdloaf and um, At Sound of Their Wings. Mm-hmm. You will see who's also named Rhea. Yeah. So it's always very <laughs> jarring during like peak My Chemical Romance tour time and seeing like Rhea in my in people's like retweets and everything being like, I didn't post that. I would remember drawing something that cool. And I frequently forget that there are other people named Rhea out in the universe mm-hmm. because I'm just so special and different. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. So it opens with like a little forward, um, mostly talking about the title of the zine, Sing It Like the Kids That Are Mean to You, which is obviously um, a reference to the My Chemical Romance song, Vampire Money. Mm-hmm. The intro is really just about, you know, singing it like the kids that are mean to you. When you're an emo of color, you are a person who is already a misfit and you are seeking out a place that is full of other misfits and maybe you still don't fit in in that space. Mm-hmm. So like there's a lot of writing about like basically being a misfit in your own house because you're not performing like your otherness the way that everyone is expecting you to perform it. And then you go to school and you are still not performing it the way that other people are expecting you to perform it. And right. Like, basically just the loneliness of that and the connecting with this music, but still not connecting with it the way that everyone else is, you know? Like, it's Mm -hmm. everyone else being presumably the white kids at your school who are the other emo kids that you know. Yeah. And and also, I think us discussing this comes at, like, the perfect time because there was recently a tweet that went around, again, on, like, fandom and, like, elder millennial-ish Twitter that was, uh, I think, I don't remember off the top of my head perfectly, but the original tweet was like, why were all the white kids, uh, why were all the emos white kids? And then very clearly, like, the quote retweets were just, like, absolutely ratioing them, being like, clearly you don't know, like, you don't know black people or, like, Hispanic people because these yeah. were the emo kids at people's schools. Genuinely, like, saying, like, you've obviously never met even one Mexican person because, like... That is who was keeping My Chemical Romance afloat. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it is Mexico. (laughs) That is why they have like their entire live album is titled Venganza instead of Vengeance because they were in Mexico for it. Like that's where the fan base was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, it's wild. I saw that tweet and I was like, it was one of those things where I was like, I feel like this is probably engagement bait because... This is Twitter user Arian Makima. So I'm like, okay, yeah, like you're <laughs> for sure not like a good faith actor here. But like also like you're just Go fucking outside. wrong. Like, I don't Meet know. I, I, I feel like I've said on here before, like the emos at my school were very much not the white kids. Like, obviously mm-hmm. I was a white emo and like I knew people who were white emos. But like the kids that I was going to shows with, it was not just like a group of white kids like no like whenever i went to shows because i don't know if i spoke about this on the podcast but i come from like a very white white town i think that like literally 15 maybe 10 percent of our graduating student body or general student body population wasn't white Mm -hmm. so uh, there was not a ton of you know diversity in my everyday life in school but like when i would actually go to these shows i was like oh thank god mm-hmm. thank god there aren't just like white people that like this shit yeah <laughs> like it's a breath of fresh air seeing that like this music reached so many people of all across different cultures and but also within that you know everyone yeah. relates to emo in a different way 
Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it great. Yeah. Like the second piece in here, um, Sister, I'm Not Much a Poet, which is like, what do you call it? That like poetry that's like cut and paste. And it's like, like it's like not black poetry. poetry. Yeah. Found poetry of uh, mm-hmm. My Chemical Romance lyrics. Mm-hmm. And it's like all kind of copy and pasted and like rearranged to be about like black identity in the emo scene. Mm-hmm. And like, I fuck, I love this poem so much like which is the um the part that's like black is the kiss the touch war-worn lipstick dancing shoes black hair black parade a thousand bodies for every one of us call her black and beautiful and after all this time not afraid like like that's brilliant that's so good (laughs) and i think there's something so special in taking something that was maybe not intended for you and still like finding the meaning in it finding the Mm -hmm. meaning across like the entire body of work and like putting yourself there and especially um you know taking what is so quintessentially emo is like one of the stereotypes of emo people is that like we all just wear black mm-hmm. all the time <clears throat> and like oh you wear black you wear black eyeliner you must be emo kind of thing mm-hmm. and that still gets you know is part of the stereotype even today and yeah. to turn that on its head and make it about black identity is such a powerful uh literary tool that mm-hmm shifts one's thinking about emo in general Mm -hmm. yeah it's like like reading this honestly did make me look at a lot of different songs in a different way like the the part that's like a collage and it's like a picture of fallout boy and it's like focused really specifically on pete and joe with like joe obviously being like jewish and pete being Mm -hmm. mixed race and like it's got the lyrics from uh like it's from novocaine I feel like a photo that's been mm-hmm. overexposed. Mm-hmm. And that kind of made me think like, oh, like, let me go back and like, listen to Novocaine again, because like, maybe there's meaning in there that I didn't realize the mm-hmm. first time I was listening to it. And like, there is like, I there later on in this same zine, they talk about like, Hi. Skippy has things to say. The other executive producer of So Emo I Fell Apart. Yeah, usually it's Miles and Jesse. Um, today, Skippy has so much to say. Would you come here? Okay, he needed to be held. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, later on in this scene, they do talk about uh, this song kind of being written, like, in response to the Trayvon Martin killing. Mm-hmm. And then, like, looking through the song again i was like oh okay like i can see how this would have been written in response to that you know cast them out because this is our culture these new flocks are nothing but vultures Mm -hmm. it's very like oh okay like i i can understand like like new facets of this song that i just wasn't seeing at first exactly and i i really appreciate these alternate readings of the lyrics and enlightening the like and especially fallout boy in general just Mm -hmm. like so many people who aren't fallout boy people or like they're very casual about it like don't realize this about them yeah and i love when people take time to illuminate further mm-hmm. pete what's his lyricism yeah because i i did know about you're crashing but you're no wave being about like the fred hampton jr trial mm-hmm. where he was convicted of felony arson in response to the um the shooting of hi <laughs> The shooting of Rodney King. Mm-hmm. And I like I didn't know this about Novocaine. It's like, I don't know. It's It, it makes me like just, I, I really appreciate being given like a new lens to look through these songs about. And then the second essay, I think that's the one you said was on Tumblr. Yeah. For Pete What's His Black 
3112. 1312. 1312. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Look at me go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there Pete Wentz is Black ACAB. It's a great username. <laughs> it is. But yeah, that uh, that this is followed by their essay about how blackness permeates the work of Pete Wentz. That is where they mm-hmm. mention Novocaine being written about the Trayvon Martin shooting. Um, mm-hmm. They also write a lot about how um, like blackness obviously permeates the work of Pete Wentz. How like the album art of Take This to Your Grave is an homage to John Coltrane's album cover for Blue Train. And like the musical influences, um, most of those I feel like would have been brought in by Patrick, who obviously has always had like a huge appreciation for black music and black culture. Mm-hmm. Like we mentioned in the Gym Class Heroes episode that like Travis McCoy knew he could work with Patrick when he saw him like breaking down over the death of Ray Charles. Um, yeah. And also I love that this essay points out with Pete's lyricism that it is uh, heavily influenced by black art and very quintessentially the work of a black poet. The the That was the author's words mm-hmm. um, where there's a lot of like play on words, turns of phrase, quick metaphors, lots of uh symbolism and imagery that typically would come from uh the flow of a rapper and it constant and that was a reminder paragraph for me of like how so many people are like i don't understand pete wentz's lyrics it's all nonsense and i'm like wow you're just like not smart enough i guess that's understand it right do you listen to enough like black music to have the ear for this kind of thing and shows a hole in your like musical vernacular mm-hmm. of this and kind of just goes to show like how I guess like white your listening tastes are if the person is white in question. Yeah. Like it's I don't know, it's like partly like one of those things where I see people saying that and I'm like, I don't want to say like, wow, I'm smarter than everyone. But like sometimes I see people being confused about like the line you were my picket fence, and I'm like, shit, it's dire out there. Like, damn. Like <laughs> fuck like uh teachers need to be start to start teaching like fall up boy lyrics in poetry units in schools uh-huh like my dad used to be an english teacher and he would teach like simon and garfunkel as oh, I love poetry in his poetry <laughs> unit so we need the elder millennials out there Open whose the curriculum schools. will allow them <laughs> to talk about fall up boy lyrics in a literary way mm-hmm. and educate the children because the takes i see on bandom twitter every day hurts me (laughs) Uh uh-huh this essay also uh, ends with like a photo of tiny baby young pete wentz i mean he's probably like 17 or something here i don't know um still but he's got a child his dreadlocks Mm -hmm. his natural hair it's Mm -hmm. it's always good to see i he just looks so young here um he's a baby (laughs) absolute baby um the next one is a really this is the one where i was like oh like not that i need all of this to relate back to me but this was kind of the part that i like could relate to Mm -hmm. the art by happy hungbug 76 about kind of like learning to draw themselves through like drawing ray toro Mm -hmm. and saying like i used to flat iron my hair every single day in proper emo fashion um but now i know that my natural hair is cool and like Ray Toro has the same hair texture, so I know how to draw it. I like they're uh they're half black, their uh their mom is black from Granada. And I like also obviously I like so many emo kids straighten my hair every single day before mm-hmm. I went to school, got up super early to do it. I did not you know you've seen the memes about like the girl with her hair straightened and then she turns around and the back of her hair is all fucked up. 
The back of my hair <laughs> was not all fucked up. I was meticulous about it. But obviously when I went to shows and it was really humid and I was sweating and my hair got damp, it would mm-hmm. curl back up. And like people behind me at shows would fucking grab onto it and pull it and like swat me out of the way and like just like, you know, and that was mm-hmm. just from like the teensy bit of like texture and like volume that it was getting from the humidity. So yeah, like so simply cannot imagine what it was like for people with natural hair mm-hmm. going to these shows. If yeah. that was the attitude towards a white girl with curly hair. Yeah, genuinely. I was it's like if I can ex- extrapolate that behavior onto someone who's like even the smallest bit more marginalized than me, who has even the slightest bit more like, I don't know, political weight attached to their hair. It's like fuck. Like that must have been just an absolute nightmare. Mm-hmm. And Like, that's the shit that kept me straightening my hair, like, until I graduated high school. Like, I just wouldn't wear it curly. And, like, I do now. But, like, it was, like, well, I can't be emo with curly hair. Like, that's just not what we look like. Yeah, you're not allowed to be. Yeah. And then, of course, people would then, we get to the whole, like, scene, like, scene girl hair, which ended up with so many extensions, so much, Mm -hmm. like, texturizing, so much everything that, like... It's almost very frustrating to see the desired look for emo then turn around on its head and go to that kind of extreme. It's like, wow, you guys, this like this sucks. <laughs> oh, yeah, because like they had, you know, white girls fully wearing like basically a weave every single day. But like, heaven forbid, we, I don't know, look like black people mm-hmm. in any meaningful way beyond just like taking the little bits and pieces of like black beauty that we can, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I can, I don't know. I can remember also thinking like, Oh, like I want to dye my hair, but like I, I would have to straighten it because like curly hair doesn't look good with dye in it, you know, like just mm-hmm. shit like that, where it's like, no one ever said that to me. It was just like, it was implied though. It was, I was in like a very niche subculture where like there was still a very white beauty standard being enforced. Mm-hmm. Even like variation within whiteness was not really allowed. So, you know, mm-hmm, for sure. And like, I don't know, I, I feel like it for me, it has gotten better. I would hope that it has also gotten better for like the like people of color within the scene who are, I hope, feeling more freedom to be able to do what they want to as we see like the music scene evolve and mm-hmm. like in include more and there's an essay in here that gets further into it skipping ahead a little bit mm-hmm. is laundry day or put down the bleach that kind of tackles this idea of um hair as politics within the scene and not being able to conform to the white standard of beauty that is imposed in the scene and the current like changing demographic i mean not demographic i mean the current changing visuals of the scene and mm-hmm. having more like black artists be at the forefront of scene, like meet me at the altar and seeing more experiments, like experimental punk and alt hair now versus then. And mm-hmm. that's really, and it's nice to see that there's a change now. Yeah. Like them specifically mentioning meet me at the altar and Edith mm-hmm. Victoria, like doing the alt girl, like neon colored hair. She through, has the like, sickest fucking hair. It's so good. <laughs> Like, the the neon braids and extensions and, like, the way that she styles them as bangs and, like, just, it's so fucking cool. And it's, like, fuck, like, I wish that this had been around, like, when I was in school because, like, I knew so many girls who were, like, struggling to figure out how to put their extensions in in a way that, like, let them be emo still. 
Mm-hmm. A friend of mine ended up really like doing these like little like micro braid bangs that she wore as like the swishy emo side bang. It was actually really cool. That's sick as hell. But like I, I just didn't see too much of it, and like I, I still don't see too much of it. I want to see too much of it. I don't think there yeah. can be too much. <laughs> no, there's a larger thing about like having subcultures follow a visual dictionary basically mm-hmm. and how to fit in there and what delineations make one a part of a certain subculture versus another and who gets to decide like what the subculture looks like mm-hmm. and i'm glad that now it is more what's the word i'm looking for it's now more obvious that there are more ways to be punk there are more ways to be emo there's more ways to be seen there's more ways to just be alt in general yeah on the forefront ever before thankfully because the internet and like if you see some of like the looks that come out of the afropunk festival in new york every single year it's Mm -hmm. like wow you guys look way fucking cooler yeah (laughs) than like anyone else well because there's just a certain level of creativity that they have to like tap into it's it's one of those things where it's like, is it an outfit or are they just white and skinny? Yes. <laughs> it's like, is it a punk look or is this person just white and skinny and they can just kind of like do whatever and mm-hmm. tell people that they're punk and no one will question it because they're white and skinny. Whereas like, I don't know, like black people, Asian people, like any any fucking group of color has to go like, all the fucking way and like really turn it up to be seen as part of this subculture and which sucks obviously but like it does mean that there is like a level of creativity to it and a level of inventiveness to it that like propels the culture forward that like Mm -hmm. you just don't get if it is all white people Mm -hmm. which then just goes speaks further into the white dominant culture and how it is you have to excel in order to be seen as valid in a white dominated culture Mm -hmm. and then white people just take the ideas from the people who are doing cool shit Mm -hmm. and being like now this is part of the culture that we invented but that's never the case yeah and like i don't know it's one of those things where it's like obviously like everyone talks about how rock was invented by a black woman was Mm -hmm. like nurtured and fostered and like built upon by black people and then was kind of taken and made mainstream by white artists and then black people kind of had to be like okay let's do something else and then you know that just cycle continues but mm-hmm. i mean it it really shows with emo how much black people were then excluded from something that they had such a role in inventing right and how the blacker parts of that subculture were like not really seen as serious you know like mm-hmm. Everyone fucking makes fun of Ska. Everybody makes fun of Ska. Ska is reggae. Ska is so fucking good. Ska is punk and reggae. And we don't like, you know, and it gets reduced to like, oh, like, it's just like dads and fedoras and checkered vans. And it's like, it's fucking pioneered by black people. Like, be so serious. What are you talking about? Like, you know, and like, also everyone ignores that Avenged Sevenfold is like, a fucking ska band. Like, right? everyone oh pretends that they're not a ska band. I'm so sorry. They they are made up of ska. Ska is in their DNA. Like, Say that. They were in... Fucking everyone in that band was in Suburban Legends. Mm-hmm. Like, shut the hell up. Also, they're... Uh, I forget what chat... I think it's at the very beginning of um, Where's Your Boy Tonight? 
the book that came out earlier this year mm-hmm. by this year i mean 2023 yes because it's not 2024 until like march yeah um, uh where he discusses and interviews um the bands that were contemporaries of fall Out boy when they were when they were getting their start and they were still like a little bit hardcore mm-hmm. and how a lot of those bands were composed of people of color and mm-hmm. they had very political outwardly political messages that didn't really catch on in the eventual like the hardcore to emo pipeline because white audiences didn't like how political the music was basically yeah. and i'm like wow can like rock music has always been political mm-hmm. and so is hardcore and so is punk like if you don't want politics in your music why are you here yeah kind of thing but also shows like why at the beginning of emo we didn't see a ton of bands with people of color in it rise to prominence very much because Mm -hmm. it made white people uncomfortable yeah and like i think there is absolutely like something to be said that like pete found fame with fallout boy i i'm sure partly because a lot of people couldn't tell that he was black and mm-hmm. because a lot of people, once they started, like, finding fame out of their scene, no longer knew him as the guy who was in a band called Race Trader. Like, right. <laughs> you know, so it's like he's always had those politics. Andy was also in Race Trader with him. Andy has always been a fucking, like, anarchist. Yeah. Has always been very outspoken about, mm-hmm. like, every single facet of politics that exists. Because that dude yeah, gives like a shit about everything that's been his deal forever and like that was the first fact i learned about andy Uh (laughs) uh-huh like um i fuck i remember when i was like 15 and i would buy like j14 and like those like teen magazines like mm because like for a while like emo bands were in those and yes it was such a weird it was a weird time that's the only reason i ever bought j14 was because like gerard white was on the cover yeah and, like, one of their, like, fun facts about Andy was, like, he's really passionate about politics. And, like, at 15, I was, like, that's such a funny way of saying that he's, like, an anarchist. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, that's really not how I would describe it. Um, but, you no, know, but obviously. You're sanitizing it for J14. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's kind of ties into, like, Pete was most of the way through a political science degree when he was like, actually, fuck it. Like, I'm going to do punk music. Um, Yeah. Like, he's an informed guy. He knows shit. Exactly. Like, as much as everyone wants to pretend that Fall Out Boy is, like, his apolitical music project, it's like, no. Like, he actually (laughs) did not stop being a black man when he started making this music. Um, Mm -hmm. That does not just go away. He didn't turn that off. No. Um, And still informs every facet of Fall Out Boy to this yeah. day. There is a like really great piece in here called Mania uh, by Thrash Beatles mm-hmm. um, that like talks about Pete like saying that Young and Menace is like about feeling like an outsider in their community, mm-hmm. and it mentions like the story that Patrick has told about like when Fall Out Boy was kind of getting their start, and this was I think before Andy was in there, and they had mm-hmm. kind of like a revolving door of drummers for a little bit. And one guy who was, like, kind of trying out for the band, like, asked him what Pete is. And Patrick was like, what do you mean? And he was like, like, what race is he? Like, what is he actually? And Patrick said that he was... an insane thing to even ask. Crazy thing to ask. And Patrick said that he knew right there. He was like, this guy's not going to be our fucking drummer. Because, like, 
you know, like you don't see him as a person. You're trying to figure out if you can put him in the white box or the black box. And if you put him in the black box, you are probably going to treat him like shit. So you cannot be in my band. Get the Mm -hmm. hell out of here. And like, it also talks about how mania in general is like maybe their blackest album. Mm -hmm. And like, just like the musical influences, the lyricism, like the subject matter. Right. And like, mentions the lyric in Expensive Mistakes where he writes, I became such a strange shape from trying to fit in. And I feel like that kind of got repeated a little bit on So Much for Stardust when he says, like, cut me down to what you need me to be. Cut myself Mm -hmm. down, you know? Yeah, this is a repeating theme in Pete's lyrics from Mm -hmm. the get-go. Yeah, this feeling like an outsider in his own house, in his neighborhood, because he grew up in, like, a very white neighborhood, and then Mm -hmm. seeking out, like, this crowd of misfits and still not really fitting in there and having people be like, well, like, what is he? Like, what is he doing here? And, you know, obviously he found his people. He found, you know, Joe and Patrick and Andy, who, like, clearly had an appreciation for who Pete was as a person. Mm -hmm. But, like, it was such an uphill battle with, like, so many people who just did not want that. Yeah, there is... Ah, where'd where'd it go in here? There's another brief comic uh, called Oreo that Mm -hmm. I feel like relates to the P growing up in a a white neighborhood and people trying to put him in a box where it is uh, a black woman asking uh, another, the author, basically, like, what kind of music are you into? Oh, I really like MCR, Fob, and Muse. And then the other person goes, what? No rap. And she goes, "Uh, no, not really. I guess sometimes with the gorillas. Not even Drake. What about R&B? Ha ha. Nope. And then the friend responds with, well, geez, I mean, are you even black? Uh, Mm -hmm. You don't act black. You're like an Oreo. You're probably white in a past life and you're the whitest black person I know. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was a constant sentiment that I saw given to not only Pete once, but also to like any black friends I had in this scene. Like that was a constant sentiment that was said. And it's really frustrating because like, again, it's the whole thing of people treating that emo was was white and like it was only music for white people and that's just not true Mm -hmm. yeah like i don't know people love to pretend that like i don't know pierce the veil is by and for white people it's not they love to pretend that ray toro is not a member of mcr they love to pretend that pete wentz is not black that pete uh, not pete wentz uh that ray toro is hispanic yeah like Got he is from he is a Puerto Rican man like he is, like that is a huge part of him like you can see it when you look at him and it is so obvious how many people would just like rather not interact with that at all mm-hmm. and like will happily talk about you know the Catholicism of MCR and then not engage at all with the fact that like there is also like Puerto Rican catholicism it's not just italian catholicism like (laughs) Like, ray toro had an influence over this maybe there's maybe there's a reason why mcr's music uh resonated so deeply in mexico yeah like we like let's use our brains here people like come on or like the the closest they'll get to acknowledging any of it is like loving how gerard says uh hotel de la muerte on uh Mm -hmm. Jet Set Life is going to kill you. Like, that's it. That's it. I forgot what he was even saying. Because mm-hmm. I got mad about people who don't like Ray Toro. <laughs> right? Oh, my God. And, like, talk about... Oreo, that's what like... you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, like, that was something that, like, all of my fucking friends got hit with all the time in school. Like, even from people mm-hmm. that they were, like, friends with. It would just be like, oh, well, like, you're not 
really a black person if you're not excited mm-hmm. for the new drake album and it's like well that's an insane thing to say yeah and it's like why is drake the fucking arbiter of blackness here like first of all of all people <laughs> why is it drake um it's fucking absurd um but also like the black emos that i went to school with also did listen to like quote-unquote black music they were listening to rap they were listening to r&b they were listening to dance hall and reggaeton and like you know they grew up mm-hmm. in households where this is what their parents listened to, and they continued listening to that well into adulthood and cherished that and loved that. But because they also listened to Fall Out Boy and My Chemical Romance and Panic at the Disco and Paramore, that it just canceled out. Yeah. And, like, they were not seen as their peers by, like, as, like, fellow Black people. And, like, it mm-hmm. got, it would get kind of vicious, like, just, like, that you are not one of us. You cannot be with us. And it's, like fucking like it's it's insane because it's like Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know how you even begin to contend with that not at all i can't imagine like how do you like that how do you explain like no this is also like it's all of it is for everyone obviously Mm -hmm. but like rock music specifically is also by and for black people like in its dna that is what it is Mm -hmm. and like you just i don't think it's possible to engage with that without acknowledging that and yes it i don't know it's just very frustrating to have something that like it it is that fundamental to the creation of it mm-hmm. and just have that not acknowledged and no not only not acknowledged but like fucking like just tossed out wholesale i don't know it it makes me think of how like like masculinity is like so fragile that like brushing up against femininity kind of cancels it out mm-hmm. um like if like is like racial identity that that delicately constructed that yeah. If you are not fitting into what society says you have to fit into in order to be like a black person, you just aren't anymore. Except you obviously still are because it's constructed in a different way, right? You are still yes. visibly something else. You will just lose that place in your community. So, like, there is just no winning there. No. And uh, it's just the scene is meant for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I wish more people really did say that it was for like mean it when they say it's for everyone yeah you know and i don't know like i read this article on um on vice by mm-hmm. uh eternity martis fucking rest in peace vice by the way like, I was say, like rip vice i'm really not thrilled about it um no but uh she talks about like emo bands kind of like using their you know like their privilege and their platform to be political and like specifically mentions like that bands didn't necessarily want to be political but they would also say like we don't want homophobic or sexist fans or whatever and like you know name a song gay is not a synonym for shitty and like it they wouldn't discuss racism in quite the same way whether it Mm -hmm. was because they didn't want to put a target on their back in that way or because it was just not as politically popular or because like i don't know it's it's something that you see uh, among, you know, white queer people a lot where like they will totally understand. I mean, we will totally understand like oppression as it relates to us. And then mm-hmm. as soon as you say like, OK, now add another facet to that oppression. Imagine that someone is also a woman. Imagine that someone is also black. Imagine that someone is also disabled. And it's just like, mm no like if they (laughs) they aren't also gay then like i just i don't care and like i 
wonder if that was like kind of something that they were coming up against. And I can only imagine so. Like, and maybe like, and I don't know if it was something that anyone was even like conscious of. Like, I don't want to say that they, these bands were like making the decision to just not talk about race based on this. But like, I, I can definitely see that like, you know, like people you'll hear, don't be homophobic. And I think that people will be like, yeah, don't be homophobic. And then you'll hear, don't be racist. And they get kind of defensive. Yeah. Like that was just kind of my own experience in that scene when I was a kid, like seeing that that was really the prevailing attitude that I saw. No, um, I, I fully, I saw it too. Yeah. Going back to like how the scene is for everyone. I want to actually like read aloud one of the poems because it's short mm-hmm. enough. Called my brother. My grandmother tells me about the power and I go to a rock show in my dream by Thrash Beetles. This one is so I, good. This is one of my favorite poems. The, my, my one of my favorite pieces in the entire scene, which mm-hmm. goes. My mother tells me about the powwow. She can barely walk now, but she tells me about how her sister pulled her in to dance. She tells me how they danced and danced and danced and danced. She says that while they were dancing, her sister asked joyously, do you feel that? And she eagerly replied, yes. So what do you feel? Laughed her sister. It feels like we belong here, answered my grandmother, who is named after a saint. And her sister grinned and she replied, we do. And if I go to a rock show in my dream... The girl standing next to me in the pit has dark skin, dark hair, and even darker eyes. We both know every song, so we spend the night dancing until we can barely breathe. Between songs, when we can shout loud enough to hear, she asks me, do you feel that? And breathlessly, I reply, yes. And so, what do you feel? Laughs the girl. It feels like we belong here, I say, and she doesn't know I'm named after a saint, but she looks at me like one anyway. And she grins and she replies, we do. Like, that should be the scene. Yeah, that that's the scene that I want. And that's, yeah. like... As I get back into going to more shows, it's something that I hope that I can be part of creating. Because, mm-hmm. like, I I don't know. I never want to go somewhere and be part of making somebody feel like shit. And I think that most people probably don't. But it's also something that most people probably are not actively working against. Right. It's a definitely a practice what you preach moment. Mm-hmm. For, I feel like, especially now as we enter into this in huge air quotations post-pandemic concert world (laughs) where uh the like the concert etiquette has just gone out the fucking window Mm -hmm. apparently Mm -hmm. and i've seen it you've seen it yeah that it has now become at least with larger shows and even like smaller shows like you see the the reports of like how awful fucking mitzi mitzki shows are oh my god yeah i know i feel so bad for her that concerts are now less of a place of gathering and more for the individual and an individual having their like main character moment but like the whole thing about emo and punk and hardcore is that like you're there with the group of people on when you are in the pit when you're on the floor you're in the same standing room as everyone and if someone falls down you pick them up Mm -hmm. if someone is having a bad time you help them out you get them water you get them out of the crowd Mm -hmm. and it shouldn't be regarded as this is only applicable to certain kinds of people this should not be applicable to only white guys in the crowd white girls in the crowd no Mm -hmm. That kind of attitude should be for everyone and everyone should be able to look around in the crowd, find someone that looks like them and have a sense of community and know that they're not alone Mm -hmm. in more than just the way that this music connects us to the band, but rather to each other. Yeah, because that is like, I don't know. And again, it's like one of those things where I'm like, I shouldn't say, how can I make it about me? And like, I don't, I don't want to read it and make it about me. But like when I read that, my grandmother tells me about the powwow. I do think like, oh, like that is absolutely how I felt going to my first show. 
because like mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like I belonged at school because I was like I don't know a fucking mentally ill gay kid at a Catholic school and was part of a friend group of like primarily like black and brown girls so like it I don't know all of us were kind of <laughs> like people didn't really know what to make of us yeah and going to like a Hawthorne Heights show and getting into the pit and thinking like oh like I'm supposed to be here like Mm -hmm. the people here dress like me and they think like me and they care about art like me and like all the other shit that I am kind of falls away and like obviously Mm -hmm. that is a privilege that I have as a white person where like I can afford to have that fall away. I can allow that to fall away and people don't look at me and that's not the first thing that they see. But that is also like, it's, it's, I want that space to be that experience for everyone who goes there. Like that, Mm -hmm. this poem is how I want it to be. And I feel like, I mean, I, I hope that that's also how my friends felt going to these shows and like getting to meet Mm -hmm. these artists and like having these artists like excited to meet them. Like it's, I, I do think that we all had a positive experience in that space, mm-hmm. but it also, it just can't be denied that it was such a negative place for a lot of people. Yeah. And I feel like that's a sentiment that is reflected in the zine over and over. And I don't want to mean that in like the exhaustive way, but like, wow, this was such a, unfortunately such a unifying experience for a lot of emos of color where it, a lot of them felt that they couldn't fit in because of how they looked mm-hmm. because they were still different but not different enough or different in the wrong way from the rest of the scene and growing up and then later finding the beauty in themselves and the beauty in the scene and stop giving a shit (laughs) Mm -hmm. and living as um as you know more comfortable more secure more confident more give uh more or less of giving a fuck in the scene and that's that's beautiful to Mm -hmm. me yeah. And I feel like, so there's a piece here. Let me find out which one this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emo Zam Studio by uh, also somebody named Rhea. The sound of their wings, the sound of her wings, mm-hmm. which um, discusses like being in an art studio at university or college. Mm-hmm. Um, and they mentioned looking out and seeing spray painted on the wall below the art studio. Your rich white art ain't shit. And mm-hmm. the next morning watching a middle-aged Hispanic lady from Physical Plant come and power wash it down. Um, And a short video of the hose-down wall made school news. In the small, secluded studio courtyard, a short-lived graffito head, perhaps an audience of two, me and the woodblock painting professor downstairs, a kind and tireless Japanese immigrant. And it's, this really ties into Oreo for me, where there's like this assumption that it's only white people making this art. It's only white people mm-hmm. doing this. Like somebody spray painted this on the wall with the assumption that there are no people of color in this building. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's viewed by two Asian people and then a Hispanic woman comes and cleans it up. And it's like, okay, you just don't know what's going on in there. Yeah. And you're assuming that it's for white people and you're assuming that it is inaccessible to you. And like for a very good reason, because institutions like this obviously are very invested in making everyone who's not a rich white person feel like they can't get in there fully and are very interested in uplifting rich white person art or only being interested in art by anyone outside of that category. If it's like, okay, go put your suffering on display, go put your identity on display so that we can look at it and say, Oh, this was painted by 
um, a black trans refugee from such and such country and feel like, okay, like I've experienced culture. I can go home and feel good about myself. Literally, that's exactly how it was when I went to MoMA recently. And I'm like, wow. So all the contemporary art stuff is about people suffering and basically airing out their personhood and their grief and their trauma in order to make the predominantly white visitor feel better about Mm -hmm. coming to the museum while all the upper levels are full of just white white men and their art without the discussion of their trauma or any sort of politics associated with their art very infrequently despite modern art mostly being a response to all the garbage shit happening around people mm-hmm. and being inherently political but it's treated with much different hands yeah than the rest of the museum and, it's and that was fucked. in the forefront of my mind the whole time and that's unfortunately the situation with a lot of art yeah and a lot of art institutions whether it be visual art or even in music it's like deeply fucked and it's also like kind of a complicated or complex thing because it's like obviously I think that that art should exist I don't think that you know because you can't just say okay make art but don't make it about this specific thing that you have gone through or like your specific identity because like you know but when it becomes we only want to see you if that's what you're doing Mm -hmm. exactly that's when it becomes an issue you know we only want to see you if we can be really voyeuristic about it and gain access to a point of view that I will never ever feel and you know like it's but but not in an empathetic way just in a let me try on this this method of being a person for a little bit and then take Mm -hmm. it off later you know it's mm, it's icky and I feel like that that relates a lot back to even just when it comes to like Fall Out Boy specifically Pete Wentz and uh and like even Travi McCoy that a lot of the things that got publicized about them were struggles with mental illness and addiction mm-hmm. and all of these really awful traumatic things to the public eye in a much wider scheme than like any other white band that was going through similar issues was mm-hmm. going through where that became a facet of the band's identity yeah. was through suffering mm-hmm. in some way that was alternate from the normal kinds of like you know the 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 typical themes associated with emo of like i'm really sad like like i want to die etc etc i'm paraphrasing and being jokey about it but like you guys know what i mean yeah yeah and i mean you know i i feel like that was again a recurring theme on stardust when he writes like i'm pretty positive my pain isn't cool enough anymore Mm -hmm. um it's just like you know like people want art to be show me how bad you feel let me wallow Mm -hmm. in that for a little bit and then shed it entirely and i i do think that there is kind of a value in wearing someone else's catharsis for a little bit so that you can Mm -hmm. have that without having to go through all of it um yeah and and gain a sense of empathy mm -hmm. hone those muscles and hone those empathetic skills but there's also i don't know like a, a risk associated with it of making of basing your entire self around suffering yeah like it's it's something that i see a lot when i was in gender studies and like hearing people argue about trans people and saying like, well, trans women uh, only like haven't suffered their entire lives the way that cis women have suffered from sex and they only start like, suffering from it recently. And it's like, okay, like, no, that's first not of how all, that works. shut the fuck up. <laughs> Second of all, like stupid, ignorant thing to say, but also it's just like, neither of us should be basing 
our identity on suffering. Like, I'm not a woman because of shit that I have suffered. Like, right. that's not how that works. Trans people are not more or less valid based on how much they suffer at the hands of their transness and at the hands yeah, of how like, people view that. Like, it's... Well, like, we're not queer because it sucks to be queer. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not Jewish because it it's... I don't even need to get into the whole history of like, <laughs> Jew suffering. That's the, that's the name of the fucking game. Um, but like, I'm not Jewish because my people suffered. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fucking it's it's dumb and it's a silly fucking way to measure personhood and identity. And I feel like it did get to be a bit of a contest in emo who can be sadder. Um, yeah, you know, suffering Olympics. Except they only wanted certain kinds of suffering. They really only wanted like the pretty skinny white suffering. They didn't want fat suffering. They didn't want black suffering. They didn't want disability suffering unless your disability was like mild to moderate depression, because um, mm-hmm. that was attractive. Yeah, like people got scared when like Pete would talk about like his like when you mentioned a, a, a drug like Advan in your lyrics. Everyone's like, ooh. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Yeah, and then similarly with like the stories that came out about like Max Bemis and like his was just thinking about Max Bemis. Yes, like people were legitimately scared of Max Bemis because of his bipolar diagnosis, and no one. And that's then that's a scary mental illness versus just your run of the mill depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I can remember reading an interview with him in Alternative Press, and uh, he talks about going through a manic episode and just like walking around town and he says like i yelled at a group of school kids like i just fucking screamed at them yeah and like and then also like pouring a can of soup out spoonful by spoonful outside of his apartment on the sidewalk yeah and just like it makes you do weird shit Mm -hmm. and like i can remember like this reading this interview like not too long after i had received my own bipolar diagnosis and thinking like fuck like i hope that that doesn't happen to me because that seems like it feels bad to go through yeah, like literally when I got my incorrect bipolar diagnosis, <laughs> which I don't need to get into all of that on an emo podcast. Uh-huh. I also like immediately thought of Max Beam. So I'm like, oh shit, I'm mm-hmm. like that guy. Yeah. Which then at that point, that was my own internalized like discrimination and like bias towards the scary kinds of mental illness versus the acceptable kinds of mental illness. Yeah, exactly. I was... That I then had to learn how to grapple with. And I can remember thinking like, oh, like... Because I did have kind of like the knee jerk response of like, oh, I don't like that about him. And then thinking like, oh, well, I also have the same thing that might make me do that one day. So like, Mm -hmm. maybe I should think differently about this because like, I don't know, it it could be me having to explain to someone that I did something fucking awful and that I Mm -hmm. wasn't in control of myself and that I still want to be treated like a person. You know, like that's just it's and I, I do think that that is like the purpose of art in general of, mm-hmm. of talking about your own experiences mm-hmm. like you can't you have to relate to other people through their own experiences basically mm-hmm. without making it not uh, how do i phrase this in the way that's like it's not like main not main character syndrome nor that's the world like your experiences are not universal nor mm-hmm. is everything about you kind of way but like people share things in order for other people to Find basically again, find community, find catharsis, find support. And by keeping things so impersonal, it it's it doesn't make I don't want to say valuable art, but like it it makes art difficult. Which is why, again, like I not to get into an AI discussion, but like that's why like AI art sucks because there's no humanity attached to it, there's no emotion mm-hmm. attached to it, there's no experience attached to it, there's no 
joy. There's no, there's no sadness. There's no anything attached to it. Yeah. That's why it sucks. (laughs) Like it sucks for a lot of reasons. Like the, the, oh yeah, the job theft. It's a cornucopia of fucking, (laughs) of reasons with AI. It's like, which is like, yeah, the job theft is primarily, I think the worst part. And then the second worst part is like, you're making art that has no fucking point of view that I, Mm -hmm. you know, I, it's 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 again it's like i don't need to be able to relate to this but i like to be able to look at art and think oh this they maybe they're saying this or maybe they're saying Mm -hmm. this and to be able to interpret it and there's nothing to interpret in ai because there's no intent behind it yep and like it's like i don't need it to be about me like i feel like there was this uh there's just like minor dust up on tumblr this past week because like somebody got James Baldwin mixed up with Alec Baldwin and then there was some discussion oh, <laughs> about how um people would introduce James Baldwin as like a gay writer before introducing him as a black writer and mm-hmm. it's like he's both but like there's just so many people who will not take interest in him uh if they only know him as a black writer they will only take interest in him if they know him as a gay writer because they want to be mm-hmm. able to relate to him and I can remember the first time that I read James Baldwin the copy of Giovanni's room that I had didn't have a photo of him and Mm -hmm. I was reading it for school and my professor had not told me that he was black and Mm -hmm. I didn't know the entire time I was reading it because he was writing mostly about white people in this book Mm -hmm. and I was kind of surprised later to find out that he was black and then I was like I want to read more of his stuff because like he had such a way of writing in Giovanni's room that I was like I need to I need to see more of this but Mm -hmm. like the people who just, I mean, again, like they will only latch onto it if they can see themselves in it. Mm-hmm. It's it 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 ties into a million different things, you know. Like, oh yeah, black people like, will listen to white people music, and white people will not listen to black people music. Men will read about men, but they will not read about women. But women will read about men, you know. And people will only uh, enjoy certain pieces of media if it has a certain kind of representation in it. Mm-hmm. And that if it ticks all the marks of, okay, this has X, Y, and Z amounts of like marginalized identities, that means it's okay to enjoy slash I only want to enjoy it because I see myself in this versus trying to broaden your horizons and take a different perspectives that don't just relate to you. Yeah. And it's like, I'm going to say it a million times. I don't need all art to relate to me, but at the same time, I do feel nice. like I do feel like I can find something in any point of view that I can look at and think I've felt something similar to this mm-hmm. or like it is within my capacity to imagine feeling like this. You know. Exactly. And it's weird to me when people just aren't willing to do that. Like it's like you really think that you've never had an emotion in common with a black person? Like really? Like Really? Like you, you have. Like it's you you think you've never had an emotion in common with someone who lives in Iraq? You have. Like, it's, it's fucking bizarre. Yep. It's fucking wild. And, like, obviously with American media being as pervasive as it is, like, people in all around the world are absorbing your perspective. Mm-hmm. And you will not do the courtesy of even considering theirs. Like, that's, I guess, like, the macro version of that. And then, like, the micro Mm -hmm. version of that is, like, you know, emos who won't listen to black music but will 
you know, just emos who who won't listen to actual rap, but will listen to punk uh, punk goes crunk. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They'll be like, oh, finally a version of the song that I can listen to, and it's like you could also just listen to the original. Like I yeah. promise you that you can yeah, that... listen to the original. Baby, I got your money. It is going to be okay. It's fine. Um, and they just the will not cover is very fun <laughs> the say anything cover is very good but it's like i don't know it it's like the cutesy white girl with a ukulele covers of rap songs because it's like haha i get it like it's usually uh sung by a black man and black men are aggressive and here it is being sung by a gentle little white lady and the difference makes Ooh-hoo-hoo. it makes it funny in a joke and not serious art haha <laughs> It, you know and in and of itself me doing this is racist yeah Woo! it's fucking shitty and also she's bad at playing the ukulele um because <laughs> she's playing it like it's a guitar like silly shit silly so fucking shit of just bad <laughs> yeah, genuinely one. it's like wow congratulations you've been you're being racist to hawaiians and to lil wayne specifically uh in one song i love it i love to see it you're so talented. There's a really nice piece in here about Travi McCoy. There is. I was hoping that we were going we were gonna get to that one. Which I, I love this piece. Because I want to say something nice now. <laughs> yes. Which is uh, a love letter to Travi McCoy, which has a lovely illustration of him with angel wings and hearts around him in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's another short thing, so I can read it aloud. I remember watching the music video for Cuba's Chokehold on my mama's TV. There were old Valentine's Day stickers on the sides of the screen, and when you sang on stage with that baby Cuba behind you, you looked like an angel. If I remember right, my tia, the one who wore a piercing in her nose and black makeup around her eyes, called you her novio because of how pretty you are. Can't remember a single one of her boyfriends, but I know she would have liked to have you as one. <laughs> to this day, I still think that of the bridge of that song is one of the single most romantic things anyone's ever written. Call it dumb, call it luck, call it love. I could probably recite every lyric, maybe even play the whole damn video in my head. The roller skating scene, the dancing in the park, all of it's there. And when I think of it, it's framed by old Valentine's Day hearts, too. It's so it's so sweet. And it's like, you know, I feel like it is a vision of travi that we don't get to see often i feel like it is a vision Mm -hmm. of specifically black men that we don't get to see often as like delicate and angelic and cute and sweet and all of those things that people just will not associate with black men like i can remember the first time i listened to cupid's chokehold and being honest to god surprised by how sweet it was because i that Mm -hmm. just was not even for like all of the black kids that I hung out with in school, that just was not my perception of black men. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know. And listening to that, I was like, oh my goodness, like this is really, this is really sweet. I really like this. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know that it could be like this. And like going out and trying to find like more rap and thinking like, fuck, like this has just been like a huge blind spot for me. And like I, you know, like I've let all this shit pass me by because I was ignorant and stupid and had like racist yeah. ideas. And yep, I did. I went to the exact same thing once I started listening to Jim Class Heroes. Mm-hmm. And because I, I, I definitely had the perception like when I was a snot nosed middle schooler being like, oh, I hate like rap and country, mm-hmm. like specifically. Yeah. And I didn't like middle school dance music and I didn't like X, Y, and Z thing. And then once I got older, I was like, oh, hmm, it is time to examine that. So yeah. now I like middle school dance music, like, even though it does bring me back to like, being terrified in gym class but <laughs> i love middle school dance music we got a 
2003 playlist at work and it has mm-hmm. temperature by Sean Paul on it. And every time it comes oh, on, exactly. I'm like, yes. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's like one of those things where I, like, I can remember like being in high school and coming up against the concept of white privilege and just like having that knee jerk defensiveness to it. And, you know, just not, I could not, could not comprehend that I had mm-hmm. privilege. Cause I was like, but I'm, but I, I'm, I'm gay and I'm depressed. Like, what do you mean I'm privileged? You know? Cause like, I exactly, I same exact thing once I got to college, because again, super duper white high school. And like, there were things going on at that high school that I understood were bad. And mm-hmm. there were some of my own, like, uh, prejudices that I needed to examine once I got to college. And like, when I got to college, I thought I was like, perfect. I was like, I'm not racist. I don't have any of these, like ideas about black people or any people of color and i did not recognize like white privilege as a thing yet mm-hmm. um and then i got to college i was like whoa there's a lot more examining that i need to do yeah Whoa. and like i don't know i can kind of remember talking to this girl that i used to work with and she was also really into emo and she was like but i i don't like rap because it's very misogynist and i was like you listen to emo to emo and you think rap He's is so misogynist serious like let's we all, all like we let's all just be honest with ourselves here like like come on now <laughs> like fucking come be, on be like so serious just because it's like not as explicit or not as sexual doesn't yeah. mean it, and it's <laughs> that is not as misogynistic good like, lord like go through fucking like mayday parades discography and do like right? i was about to say like all-time low early all-time low control f good the word whore lord. and just see what comes up like <laughs> like it is mean in there it is crazy that but it's also just like oh you're very transparently like okay with misogyny or just straight up don't even see misogyny if it's coming from white men or people mm-hmm. who you are even perceiving as white men and then you're not okay with it when it comes from black men like okay i see i understand right and like ab- absolutely i'm guilty of this like there is you know certain amounts of sexism that i'm willing to put up with um yeah. but it's like you can't just say that emo isn't misogynist like fucking yes like, that's it is factually incorrect <laughs> come on hello it's 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 <laughs> It's dumb, but it, I mean, it's also how I thought when I was like 15 before I listened to Gym Class Heroes and had my eyes open and thought like, oh my God, like I, I was wrong. Um, and had my, my black friends be like, yeah, like you're a fucking idiot. And like here, (laughs) like come over and listen to what my mom is playing in the kitchen today. And like, you will learn something today. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. like I'm very lucky that i had people who were patient with me in times where like honest to god they would have been right to not be patient with me right i think my big one was my stepfather making me listen to like tower of power Mm -hmm. and being like this inspired like half the music that you listen to and i was like oh shit Mm -hmm. and like that like opened up my eyes so much to like everything Oh yeah, with with me it was my mom making me listen to Prince and like making me making me watch like Purple Rain, (laughs) just being like, (laughs) like you will appreciate this, and I was like, okay, you're right, I will. (laughs) Damn, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, mom, mom, super into Prince, super into Bowie, and I I mentioned Bowie here because like when I was like, oh, like I'm also gonna like Bowie, I learned that Bowie did kind of have like 
an early version of an inclusivity rider where he was like, if you're not playing black people, you're also not playing me. Like, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get, me, get me off your station if you're not playing black artists. Like, I don't want to be there. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, like, I didn't realize that when Bowie was coming up, this was still an issue. Because, you know, like, I was, like, yeah. 13 or 14 you know, or whatever the fuck. Dumb and 13 or 14. Yeah. Thinking, like, all problems have been solved and not knowing anything. Oh, no. And then then you hit, like, junior year of high school and you're like, that's that was at least my oh shit moment of, like, everything mm-hmm. that I thought I was doing right and everything that I thought was wrong, it, like, it blew the, the lid open for me. And I yeah. was like, oh, something changes like when you hit 16 something or like 17 something like change in your brain and like mm-hmm. your eyes like become a little bit wider and you're like ah <laughs> yeah fuck and my worldview is actually still needs a lot more shaping to be done and a yeah. lot more unlearning that needs to get done mm-hmm. and it's one of those like i don't know like luxury problems where it's like you really only have this if you've been lucky enough to be shielded from it your whole life where like you start to realize like oh like it's a lot more pervasive than i thought and like i'm a lot more complicit in it than i thought that i was and mm-hmm. like i'm going to spend the rest of my life learning you know new things and about new people and trying to figure out my role in the world and like what i can do to uh not make shit worse you know yeah like what can i do to to be a helper instead of to just be comfortable and reaping all the benefits of like this awful shit that all the people who came before me have done and the people who are here now are still mm-hmm. doing you know like how do i not just wipe my hands of it and say okay well i'm not actively participating in it so it's okay like well you're yeah passively receiving all the benefits of it so you know yeah i, I is that better like the- that moment for me when I was in high school was so we had we had like spirit week and like one of the days each grade got a different color to wear Mm -hmm. relating to our like school's colors or whatever and when we were seniors we all wore or I forget if we were juniors or seniors I think okay yeah it was when we were juniors we all wore white and Mm -hmm. a bunch of students in my grade they thought that like white power and like right wing shit was like a joke Mm -hmm. and would say stuff like jefferson davis like under their breath and like shit like that all the time Mm -hmm. that they decided it was going to be white power day instead fuck yeah and like this was the kids who were like saying all the racist shit and but were doing it under the guise of it being a joke kind Mm -hmm. of thing and like would want make jokes about like wanting the confederacy to be a thing again i'm like first of all we're from jersey yeah all right this is not a part of our regional culture at all mm-hmm. so first of all knock it off and so like that was like the eye-opening thing for me because like we only had we literally only had one black girl in my grade oh and my god that yeah like th- again like i was not kidding like how fucking white our school was mm-hmm. but the that was a huge moment for me being like oh the axis of oppression that i face every day being a queer girl who's jewish in a predominantly white straight school there's a lot more going on here that i did not even realize was the thing because i'm now seeing in front of my eyes what like white supremacy looks like and how it affects at maximum three people in this school Mm -hmm. and it being three just the three people in the school that's more than there should be Mm -hmm. like 
uh, being affected by this and it was really heartbreaking to see the amount of like white kids who just didn't care that this was going on mm-hmm. that no one got a slap on the wrist for this nothing was done in the school about it because it's new jersey and that stuff doesn't happen here mm-hmm. and there's not enough of a like student body of color here to like make that much of a difference about it so that was like a huge wake-up call for me in school being like fuck yeah fuck like (laughs) what like it blew my i hate to say like as an incredibly privileged person uh in that position for that to be like the eye-opening moment and like even just recognizing that is like fuck Mm -hmm. (laughs) fuck yeah like i don't know my my school wasn't quite the same because like it was like a much more diverse student body than that and like even Mm -hmm. then like, we were still really way whiter than, like, the public school down the street from us. Mm-hmm. But, like, the the faculty was almost entirely white. Like, mm-hmm. maybe two or three who weren't white. And I still didn't have, like, a black professor until I was, like, well into my 20s in university. Oh, yeah, um, same. And, you know, I can remember even in in elementary school thinking, like, oh, like my best friend is like easily as smart as me and does not get treated like she is as smart as me by our teachers. Um, like I get treated like I'm a special little genius and she gets treated like she needs like special ed, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like they were saying like, Oh, she needs remedial classes, blah, blah, blah. And like, I would sit with her and we would do our homework together. And I was like, no, she doesn't like, she's fine. And Mm -hmm. like, these are the same teachers who, uh, when she broke her arm, they did not believe her. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She fell in the playground and broke her arm and they didn't believe her, said if you broke your arm, you'd be crying and you're not crying. So your arm's not broken and wouldn't even let her call her mom. That's insane. What the fuck? It was nuts. And I, when we went to leave for the day, I was like helping her put her jacket on and I was carrying her backpack home for her. And our teacher pulled me aside and was like, you know, she's faking. Like, you don't have to do all that for her. And I was like, she's not faking. Like. I'm carrying her bag. Like, her arm's broken. Like, look at it. And they just wouldn't even look. And we got to her house, and I called my mom and was like, hey, uh, Kadisha broke her arm. Her mom couldn't get off of her shift at work. So my mom came home from work and drove us to urgent care. And... Mm -hmm. She got an x-ray and got a cast, and her mom was the angriest I have ever seen her in my life. As she and, should be. <laughs> yep. And uh, we got to school the next day, and my teacher was like, how's your a broken arm? Like, huge air quotes. Like, just Ew. being an absolute bitch. And she rolled her sleeve up and was like, oh, well, I got a cast, so, like, it feels a lot better now. And, like, just all the color drained out of her face. Like, she looked so horrified and she was like i am so sorry and kadisha was just like yeah yeah no you should be you should be (laughs) and like (laughs) like her mom went off um and i you know i even then i was like i feel like if i had broken my arm like miss saunders would not tell kadisha that i was faking right oh she just wouldn't and you know, and like that, you know, Kadisha went on to be like the person who like I went to emo shows with and who I like mm-hmm. l- would sit with and listen to follow up with her. And like it was just one of those things where I was like, fuck, like people treat us differently. And going to emo shows together 
felt like, okay, but like, this is where we're the same, you know, mm-hmm. whether or not that was ignorant of me and she felt completely different. I truly just, I cannot know that, but like, it was something that we shared. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think the beautiful thing about emo, about music yeah. in general. <laughs> For sure. But this is an emo podcast. So emo in particular. Yeah. <laughs> And I think to wrap this up on a lighter note, the the zine also has an entire list of rock band recommendations that are some are more goth, some are more punk, and some are even a little pop, all fronted and or consist of people of color. And I'm going to read the list off to you guys. Here, it's a really good list. Provided. It's a great list. Uh, we have Bandmade, uh, Maid spelled M-A-I-D, uh, Bucktick, which I was like, oh my god, Bucktick in here, which if you mm-hmm. like Bucktick... And you want to explore, or like you've never listened to Bucktick, and then you want to like go further into like Japanese hardcore and like Visual K. I have fucking recommendations for you. And Duran Gray just released a new album, and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to talk about like old ass VK bands, um, then we have the Black Tones, Meet Me at the Altar, Bob Villain, great the band name, <laughs> incredible band name spelled like Dylan but with the V in the front, mm-hmm. uh, the Linda Lindas, uh. Otoboke Beaver, Nova Twins, Pink Shift, The Muslims, uh, Radkey, Chai, Loathe, Skinny Girl Diet. Uh, oh, that's the end of the list. Yeah. But great fucking list. Nova Twins are so cool. Like, if you have not listened to Nova Twins, get into them. Because they, mm-hmm. they look cool. They sound cool. Like, that is just, like, a group that deserves some more fucking attention than they are getting. Because they are awesome. Um Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, I think I've talked about Pink Shift and the Linda Linda's on here before. Mm-hmm. Also, just in fucking incredible. Right. We got to see both of them at Adjacent this past and year. So and just amazing. Amazing. Love, love to see them taking off. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going back to our point about Michael Grimmitz and Mexico is this beautiful spread that just says Vengaza in the middle. And it's a bunch of Michael Grimmitz themed Loteria cards. And like my Del wicket is so fucking that's, good that's my favorite one it's really cute <laughs> <laughs> uh it's great i would love to see a full like my cover my chemical romance like loteria mm-hmm. that would be so sick um and the aptly uh aptly lyric from gay and cinnamon for shitty print on my page says trade baby blues for wide-eyed browns mm-hmm. that makes total sense another thing this mm-hmm where it's like, I love to see a lyric in a new light. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, I should go reread The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison mm-hmm. <laughs> after <laughs> this lyric being uh, turned on its head for me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the zine finishes up besides those two things with a really beautiful short essay called The Kids Are All Right, aptly named because of, you know, mm-hmm. everything talking about uh, listening to Saturday by Fall Boy on Saturday and the joy in remembering where you were listening to your favorite like emo songs and like youth and you know mm-hmm. nostalgia yeah and the beauty of emo and yeah. the joy to be found in the sadness you know mm-hmm. and it's it really is just like i don't know it's corny but it's like i do want it to be a space where for everybody and where we can all you know come together over something that mm-hmm. we all love and make space for everybody and defend that space for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like seeing more and new artists come into the scene 
who are like representing these people who just like never felt like they had a space here before. Right. Um, it does feel like maybe the tide is changing and maybe like, I don't know, maybe the crowds will be a little friendlier. Yeah. Like that was the feeling that I had when we were seeing Meet Me at the Altar set at Adjacent and just seeing like the overwhelming black joy in that crowd. I was like, yes, Mm -hmm. this is what (laughs) I want the scene to be. Yeah. And I'm so happy that it's changing. Mm -hmm. Me too. Me too. It's really good to see. I hope that it keeps that the trend continues forward. Mm hmm. And that's our short, like, going through of this zine. Mm-hmm. I, again, if you, you should buy a digital copy of it. If you have six bucks to spare, the physical copy is even better. Birdloaf.com. And then go support all the um, artists and writers that were featured in the zine. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a really incredible work. I strongly recommend reading it. And I know we're just two white girls talking about, like, really important issues. But I hope that we... Um, had an uh illuminating conversation for anyone and hopefully we didn't sound like we were talking out of our ass with any sort of like <laughs> insensitivity yeah. at all i don't know that's it's one of those things like when i was in gender studies um there were a ton of times where i was like i don't know that i'm the person to talk about this like just for essays and stuff and my professors were mm-hmm. like i mean the other option is that you don't talk about it so like you can't make it be the responsibility of oppressed people's to be the only people talking about it like and you know like you can't just shut up like that can't be (laughs) that can't be i don't know your activism your praxis your whatever like it can't be sit down and do nothing like you do just you have to say something which is i i yeah i would rather say something and like maybe get it wrong or sound like an idiot than like not say anything and have people think that i don't give a shit exactly and with that being said, also, it's like we encourage you if you're a white listener of ours and you haven't really expanded your like emo listening and pop punk listening to include like artists of color, I recommend like you take the time to do so. There is a, a, such a wide array of this genre that's more than just, you know, taking back Sunday and like say anything and mm-hmm. panic at the disco and stuff like that, that. I would really encourage everyone to like go out of their way and mm-hmm. do so. Um, also a incredible podcast that discusses emo and pop punk is black people love Paramore. Highly. Yes. Recommend going oh to my God. Yes. Love Paramore. I love uh, them. Great podcast explores emo and, and music in general, that kind of lens more than we can ever could. Mm-hmm. Uh, so go listen to them. Yeah. It's great. And then when the Paramore and SZA collab eventually comes out, go listen to that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's going to be so stoked about it. I need that yesterday. I'm so excited mm-hmm. about that. And I'm sure there's more uh, other podcasts about mm-hmm. emo and pop punk by uh, podcasters of color that I'm missing right now. That was the first one I thought off the top of my head to, yeah. to plug. The, the, they're the really good. This. Yeah. So, and that's it for us yeah. this week. I promise you guys that that Hawthorne Heights episode will eventually come out. <laughs> I do. It's just, I'm not kidding you. It is nearly two and a half hours of raw, unedited audio of us talking about a singular album that I just need to like emotionally prepare myself to spend multiple days on. <laughs> we we had a crazy amount to say about this album. <laughs> and the funny thing about that episode is that there are so many times that I'm trying to wrap you up and get you to talk about the next song. I know, and, and I can't. Can't. I can't do it. <laughs> and you just can't. 
kept talking. I can't. Like, <laughs> and I had to. I had to pee so bad. I was so thirsty. I kept looking at the timestamp. I was like, "When will this end?" You need to just tell me to shut the fuck up. Like you have to. <laughs> I promise you guys, the episode is great. We have wonderful things to say, and we are peak music critics and mm-hmm. we have a valuable opinion but oh my god it yeah. will come eventually i promise it's getting there um and yeah other stuff that's coming up uh, in terms of like moonshot stuff because as you know this podcast is powered by moonshot pods we are ever grateful to them for everything uh i think that there's a ton of cool stuff coming up in the moonshot world we, oh yeah there's a there lot of is. patreon exclusive stuff that's about to happen we have a patreon drive coming up it for 2024 that i think is getting recorded in march and will go live in april so keep an eye out for all the cool stuff that's going to be coming out for the next couple of months for moonshot i think that maybe we'll probably be on something i just need to like look at the sign up thing again and mm-hmm. like participate but yeah uh cool stuff watching out there as always listen to our friends over at moonshot if you like what we do here and want to keep listening to us please follow slash subscribe on your podcast or choice uh and if you really do like what we do here consider leaving us a review over on apple Podcasts. if you have more uh than like two seconds to spare write us a quick comment makes us look really cool um and give us a couple stars on spotify additionally follow us over on twitter at so emo pod and on instagram and again one of these days i'm gonna start posting more on instagram i will get to it uh (laughs) but please follow us over there that's the fastest way that you will get updated on any sort of going on uh with us so with that that's it Mm -hmm. and we will see you next time au revoir bye-bye lights camera adaptations ever watched your favorite book become a movie and said huh well that certainly was a weird decision Hello, Moonshot listeners. I want to play a game. Claudia and Nicole are being held in the basement of an undisclosed abandoned building. Their task is to watch every movie in the Saw franchise before the release of Saw 10 on September 29th and provide thoughtful analysis. Your challenge is to listen to them cover two Saw films a week in their new miniseries, We See Saw, every Monday and Thursday here on the Moonshot Network. Let the game begin.